Welcome to another episode of Product Thinking. I am Kyle. This week we are talking about you are not your customer, but you should be. So Airbnb nearly failed several times before it finally found its stride. The founders almost gave up and resorted to selling overpriced novelty cereal just to pay off credit card debt to keep the company afloat for a while longer. Very, very funny and interesting story. But what really saved their business was a deep understanding of their users at a time when they had very, very few. So few, in fact, that they could knock on doors to talk to each of them and see their spaces and watch them use Airbnb Live. This type of understanding is obviously invaluable to products and companies. For example, the Airbnb team realized that many of their hosts didn't have the ability to take good photos, which was really problematic to the site and for guests. So they started doing it for them. The founders of Airbnb took all of this information to improve the product and the company for both guests and hosts, and eventually scaled it massively. The company now is worth over $86 billion as of May 2022. So in the book that we reviewed in our last post and podcast, The Startup Owner's Manual, the authors make an important point about knowing your customers. I'll quote from that. They say, know the customer you're pursuing so deeply, they think you're one of them. So the advice is incredibly important for startups. As a startup, you're venturing into the unknown. So you must familiarize yourself with every aspect of your market and potential customers. But it's equally true for existing companies, not just for startups. As product teams building established products, we also need to fully understand our customers and users. But we can't stop with existing users and customers because that is only part of the market. Like startups, we have to understand our potential customers, those who aren't using our product, but could, and those customers who we may not even have a product for now, but may in the future. Uh, The book, The Startup Owner's Manual, goes on to talk more about this, and I'll quote again. Tactically, it is equally important to become a customer. To do so, start to act like a customer participate in their culture, read their websites and publications, watch their favorite videos, movies, and TV shows, and share as many customer experiences as possible. Get to know real live customers, not just in focus groups, but in the places where they really spend time. Observe when they're online and when they're off and what they're doing each time they pick up their handheld. What app are they using? Who are they texting and talking to? Why did they choose this minute to play game A instead of game B? And how did they learn about games A and B in the first place? Play the games they play, use the apps they use, participate in their social networks, and regularly visit the sites they regularly visit. You can internalize the customer experience by observing it in depth and understanding his behavior and motivation. The goal is to become the customer. Such great advice. Taking it beyond the application. It's easy to focus on how customers are using your app and certainly important. 
You can't improve the experience if you don't see a user suffering with your navigation or struggling with your buttons and so on. But your customers spend a fraction of their time using your product. If that, it is a means to an end in most cases. It may not even register in their consciousness much of the time. So what else do they care about? What does their life look like? What do they spend their time doing outside of just your product or your application? This can be some of the most important research you do as a founder or a product person. As I built out the new assessment platform for an online university, I spent a significant amount of time learning about our users and students, not just how they used our application and platform, but how they lived their lives. This was critical for how we built and designed because it informed everything that we did. For example, our users were often not highly technical. They often lived in much more rural settings and commuted long distances for work and other activities. This cut down on the time they had for us, but it also meant they rarely had reliable internet at home and would have to rely on the internet at other locations for studying and testing, an important consideration in building a product. Without understanding the life of our users, especially outside of our application, we couldn't have created it as effectively. And this goes for creating any product or any application. So how can you learn about your customers? How can you become one of them? First off, talk to them. First and foremost, you should talk to your customers and your potential users. There is no substitute for conversations with people. Eric Ries, author of The Lean Startup, learned this when he built IMBU, a virtual avatar app for instant messaging. They premised much of their initial app on working directly with existing instant messaging platforms and adding directly to them so that users wouldn't need to add more. But that wasn't necessarily the right approach, and he wrote about this. I'll quote from an, uh, an article. Eventually, out of desperation, we began bringing people into our office for in-person interviews and usability tests. And they'd say, do you have any idea how many IM programs I already run? No, we'd say one or two maybe. That's how many each of us used, to which the teenager would say, duh, I run eight. It started to dawn on us that our concept was flawed. So we can't understand our users if we don't talk to them about their lives and how our product fits into it. In in this particular product case, they had certain assumptions that were very flawed that they learned once they talked to their actual potential customers, not only about how they were using their product or potentially would use their product, but just about what they did in their lives and how they used other products. So what else can we do? Read, read extensively. When I was working as a product manager in the money market industry, we were in a sea of constant change. At one point, the SEC issued a thousand pages of new regulations, and our team spent the next day reading and highlighting extensively, and the subsequent weeks reading lots of articles and opinions about how the new regulations would change our industry. Fortunately, most industries aren't as prone to massive regulatory shifts as financial markets, but deep reading is still a powerful tool. I've recently moved into product in the construction industry and am knee deep into the book Construction Management Jumpstart, which is a relatively large book about the industry. I'm also reading 
industry blogs and news and anything I can find to help me understand our customers and users. What else? Participate in the culture. Finally, you need to participate in the culture of your customers. You can't be removed from the culture and understand it. You need to speak the language, understand the memes, get the references. This has been my experience as I've worked more and more in the crypto and NFT space recently. Much of it was new to me as I took on some of my first projects and I had a lot to learn. So I talked with people, read a lot, listened to podcasts, followed people on Twitter and participated in the culture. I'm still early in my journey, but I'm more of an active participant and have gained a better understanding of the space. All of us need to do the same, no matter what product we are creating. We can't take part from a distance. We need to be up close with what we're working on. So there's an old axiom that you are not your customer. And it's true, you are not your customer, but you should be, or at least be indistinguishable from your customer and potential customers because you know them so well. So that is our new our newsletter, our podcast for this week. You are not your customer, but you should be. You can, of course, check that out at productthinking.cc and follow wherever you get your podcasts. Have a few other interesting links in this week's newsletter as well. Pros versus cons of quality, quantity writing. This is an interesting article and a debate that I have with myself frequently and had a while ago as I moved both this newsletter and podcast to a less frequent cadence. Obviously, the quality argument went out for me and continues to win out, though I try to produce a decent amount of quantity as well. I watch as many people write all the time, but I often shake my head as I'd be somewhat ashamed if I produce some of the, the articles that I find online. And I believe that quality should win out at the expense of quantity. If you can produce lots of quantity while maintaining quality, then I think you are elite at that point, but fewer that. So that's an interesting one. Check that out. Uh, next up, innovating with accessibility in mind. Uh, this whole thing gave me the feels for real. I love everything about the ad, about the product, about all of it. My brother is visually impaired and we as a society do not do enough to design for those who are differently abled than most of us. So these minor design changes that make the world more inclusive uh, make me incredibly happy as a product person and, a, and as a human. So check out that link uh, in this week's newsletter. Uh, some really interesting small changes that a company has made to some credit cards and debit cards that make them more inclusive for everyone. And I love it. And finally, Apple lost its soul, but who cares? Uh, interesting article just on the growth of Apple and the changes that have come with that growth. I'll quote from it. This from Steve Jobs. Something happens to companies when they get to be a few billion dollars, he told me. They sort of turn into vanilla companies. They add a lot of layers of management. They get really into process rather than results, rather than products. Their soul goes away. And the biggest thing that John Scully and myself will get measured on five years from now, six years, were we able to grow into a $10 billion company, $10 billion company that didn't lose its soul. And that is kind of the crux of the article. Eventually, Apple did lose its soul, but was able to continue 
to grow massively and make really good products, though maybe not so much with the same soul that it had before. So check that one out. Interesting to think about. Again, I am Kyle. You can find me on social media at Kyle Larry Evans. You can find the newsletter at productthinking.cc. You can find this podcast wherever you get your podcasts. And we will talk again next time.